This is Breaking Free from the Grind. I'm your host, certified life coach, Columbia MBA, and former Fortune 500 strategy consultant and Wall Street investment banker, Amelia Noel. After spending over a decade caught in the grind of finance and consulting, I'm here to help you break free from the mental grind of your career and develop the mindset you need to feel better at work and figure out what you want so you can create a life you fucking love. You ready? Let's go. Hi guys. Welcome back to another episode of breaking free from the grind. I am so excited to have on today's episode, a special guest and fellow career coach, Alan Stein. Alan and I met, I want to say about six months ago or so towards the beginning of this year, end of last year at a online Columbia business school networking event. And we got connected. I learned more about what he did and he's an excellent coach. So I thought it'd be perfect to have him on this week's episode. A little bit more background on him before I let him introduce himself officially. He helps underrepresented, underestimated, and underpaid talent land high paying jobs at the world's best tech companies. And in addition to that, He's also the founder, CEO, and chief accelerator of Kadima, which is a career accelerator that he can talk a little bit about. And especially in this vein of landing high-paying jobs at tech, he comes from such great experience in the world of tech. So ex-Google, ex-Facebook, ex-Salesforce, also ex-American Express. You just have done it all, and I love it. <laughs> and I thought it'd be especially relevant to have him on this week's episode of Breaking Free from the Grind, since so many of my clients and so many listeners of this podcast who are currently working in finance and consulting, when they decide that they want to leave those industries, if that's what they decide for themselves, tech and big tech in particular is the hottest industry that they transition to. So Alan, I'm so excited to have you on. Welcome to Breaking Free from the Grind. And I'll let you tell us a little bit more about yourself that I didn't already cover. Thank you so much, Amelia. And thanks for having me on Breaking Free from the Grind. I've listened to a few episodes and really appreciate your approach. Um, and just really honored to be here. I am also an ex-finance person myself. I have not done consulting. I am now in my sixth distinct career from psychology to finance, to baseball, to marketing, to operations in, in big tech organizations, and now as an entrepreneur. I left Salesforce on the first day of fall last year, September 22nd, 2001, for those Seinfeld fans out there, there's a great episode where George, when he got his opportunity at the New York Yankees, he was all excited and he's like, this is the summer of George. So I called my fall of 2021, the fall of Alan, when I broke free from the grind of working <laughs> in corporate America and focused on what I'm passionate about, what I'm excited about, what I'm good at, and what invigorates me, which is helping people to accelerate their careers in, in big tech, in at Google, Facebook, Amazon, Microsoft, Salesforce, companies like that. Tell us a little bit more about how specifically you help the people you work with break into these fields and break into tech specifically. So as a career pivoter, someone who has had 29 different jobs in my life, uh, 21 different companies. I have learned how to achieve goals. And the way that I generally help my clients is to take a six-step approach, which I call the growth framework. Very conveniently spells out G-R-O-W-T-H. And the first step, and I think you do this a lot in your practice as well, is first clearly articulate your goals and identify where you want to go to. Because if you don't know where you're going to, any road will take you there. That's not my line. I think it's from C.S. Lewis from uh, Alice in Wonderland. 
The next step is for people to realistically assess their strengths. So leverage their strengths to get into those companies where they want to get into. And you don't need to be a coder. You don't need to be a technologist to work in these tech companies. Hell, I, I don't code. I don't know how to buy AdWords ads. I don't know how to buy Facebook ads, even though I worked at all those companies. I don't even use Salesforce as my CRM, but I leverage my strength as operations. So realistically assess your strengths. Then the third part is building outreach and network. So when, when, you look, when I look back on the 29 jobs I've had, 24 of those jobs, the door opened for me because of who I knew, not what I knew. I still had an interview, but to crack that door open, it was because someone was willing to, to talk to me or put my name in as a reference. The fourth step is working the system. So I find people don't look at the right places, don't look at the right time, don't look for the right roles. So I help people look for the right places at the right places, right time, right sort of roles and get their application in because it's really hard to get an interview if you're not applying. And then uh, the fifth part is training for the interview. So once you get that interview and the interview process is very arbitrary, the, the arbiters of your future, the people that are doing the interviews are often not very well prepared, are often not very well trained, often have these arbitrary rules. So you need to train and have tenacity for those interviews and be, be comfortable with the rejection. And then the sixth part of the growth framework is high impact negotiation. So once people get these jobs, they don't often understand how lucrative they can be. And especially as I work with underrepresented, underestimated, underpaid individuals, they're anchoring on a lot lower compensation point than they actually deserve. And I help them to negotiate for more money as well. So that's how I help people. I love that. Okay. I want to go back. I was about to say circle back, but I didn't want to use corporate speak. I want to go back <laughs> to a few things you said within the growth framework, because this is so good, right? So one thing you said, and I want to reiterate it for everyone listening in, because this comes up a lot in the coaching I do with clients is you said like, you can't get the jobs you don't apply for. What are some of the biggest mental blocks or challenges that you hear from the clients you're working with that's preventing them from putting themselves out there and just applying? And then how do you help them overcome that? Yeah. And, and there, it is a very mental game. And I know you go into that a lot with your coaching. People are look at a job description and they look at 10 requirements and they're like, oh, I can only do six of these. So I'm not even going to apply. And you see that often with underrepresented groups. Women are often like often suffer from imposter syndrome more than cocky guys, which took like don't mind going up and applying for things. So a lot of it is people are taking themselves out of the process. So they look at the job description and they're like, oh, I can't do that or I'm not Google worthy, or they would never hire me, or they've already rejected me six times, so I'm not going to apply. So there's lots of things that they're saying in their mind that are not actually true, but it is preventing them from taking that action of getting their application in. And people sometimes overestimate the downside of putting their hat in the ring and applying. There's really no downside. You got to click a couple of things. You got to upload your resume and you got to click submit. The downside is you will get ghosted, which means they'll never follow up with you. You'll get a canned response rejection, or maybe you'll speak with a recruiter. There's no downside of getting rejected. However, a lot of people are not as comfortable with rejection. A lot of people are telling themselves stuff that I'm, I'm not fit. I'm not, I, I would be an imposter here or 
they would never hire me here. And the truth right. is, if these companies hired me, they will hire you as well. I love what you say about, um, you know, there is no downside to rejection. I like to tell clients too, if you don't apply, like you're already living your worst case scenario, right? Which is if you want a job at Facebook, you currently don't have a job at Facebook. <laughs> so the worst thing that can happen is you apply and you don't get the job. Nothing's changed about your current scenario. You're already living the worst case. And then just bringing up this idea of rejection, right? It's so interesting to hear you. It's almost as if your clients, when they're not applying and you know, my clients do the same thing, you're just self-rejecting at that point. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you're failing before you even start or give it a try. 100% agree. And uh, just to give you a sense of numbers, last time I was actively looking for a job in the corporate world, I applied to 300 different companies. I got rejected from 295 of them. A lot of them, I didn't even get a response from. There's still some pending. I, I still have some applications from Amazon from 2017. If you look at the job portal, they still haven't even looked at my application from back then. So I got rejected 295 times. I wound up getting 47 interviews. I wound up getting five offers, but 295 times they said, we're going to go with somebody else. Or frankly, they don't even give you feedback, which makes it really hard to learn as an individual. That's how you learn. And yeah. the interview process is very frustrating because like, if you're someone who's trying to learn how to hit a tennis ball, you do the same shot over and over again. You have a coach telling you how to hit or follow through or hold your feet with an interview. You either get the job and maybe you give yourself a false sense of, of success that like, oh, I kicked ass in the role or you don't get the role. And then you ask for feedback and they're like, oh, sorry, we're not at liberty to tell you the feedback. So it's a really painful exercise that makes it very hard for people to learn and grow. Yeah. And thank you for sharing those numbers, because I think that really puts it in perspective for a lot of people listening in, right? 300 applications out, five job offers. So we can all do the math right there. <laughs> but what I love from that example too, is just this point of you really only need one. <laughs> exactly. And I actually turned all five of those down. So I, I wound up doing Kadima instead, but yeah, uh, you only need one and there's no penalty for this 295. No one knows that number of 295 except me because I keep a spreadsheet and I measure this. I help my clients to do that for accountability and to make sure that they're making progress on things, but no yeah. one needs to count that information. That number 295, you get to decide what you make that mean, right? Yeah. So you get to decide if you make that mean you're not worthy of these 295 places or you get to decide to make it mean nothing about you, just that it wasn't a good fit or the timing was off or circumstances change within the company. I love this segue into this idea of rejection. You said another part of your framework is getting really comfortable with rejection. You personally had to get comfortable with rejection. This is also helpful for the listeners of breaking free from the grind. Everyone's high achieving. Everyone is used to succeeding and has created a certain level of success in their career. And the, the truth is I was the same way. We're not used to getting rejected. So how do you help someone who is high performing, who is high achieving, who's doing great in their career, but wants to make a change, handle that rejection that they're not used to getting? I'm working on that myself and helping people. And I had good conversations with my wife who is big into life coaching and she goes to a life coach and learns about this. And a lot of it is in your head. 
So I, I don't have the exact answer for you, except to try to empathize with people, try to make them aware of how arbitrary some of these decision-making processes are. Because if you think about the whole interview process, you have to get your resume viewed um, and you're submitting it with hundreds or thousands of people and you don't know what their, their criteria are. Then you get, if you're lucky, you get to speak to a recruiter and the recruiter is speaking to 20 people or so and figuring out, okay, I'm going to pass about 10 people, five to 10 people to the hiring manager. And then you get to the hiring manager and they're going to speak to five to seven people and then bring them to the full interview loops, which is what I kind of liken to the playoffs. So you get to the playoffs and you don't know who you're up against. So I could be interviewing against you and maybe someone is looking for someone that has more coaching experience or has more uh, life coaching experience or whatever it is. Or maybe you happen to work at a company that they're specifically targeting. You don't know what their criteria is, um, are. And I've worked, I've had people on my interview panel. So when I've in, I've hired hundreds of people, I've interviewed thousands of people in my career. And when I do those interviews, it's not just me making the decision, especially at these top companies, there's usually three or four people doing the interviews. I've had people that I've selected for my interview panel that have eliminated people for the job for such arbitrary bullshit reasons. There was one person who hated the word synergy. So if someone used the word synergy during the interview, he would X that person out. I used to do that in a different way. So I used to eliminate anybody who didn't send me a thank you note after interviewing with me because I thought that was just common decency. And I do encourage my clients to send thank you notes, not, not a handwritten note, but just on LinkedIn, just say, hey, thank you for your time. If I didn't stop that, I would have eliminated 90% of clients because, or 90% of candidates because it's amazing how few people send a thank you note. So there are all these arbitrary rules that eliminate you, that are judging you. And a lot of my clients, a lot of people attribute it to themselves that, oh, I'm not smart enough, or I'm not good enough, or I don't have the right skill set. It could be that, but it could be that your interviewer was upset that you said synergy, or your interviewer was upset that you didn't send a thank you note, or maybe you were up against someone who had four more years of experience working at a slightly more relevant role. But I find a lot of my clients tell themselves and they're harder on themselves than the actual truth is. Yes. It's such a great example with that particular individual's hang up with the word synergy. It's natural for our brain to make everything about us immediately. Mm -hmm. And just like you said, make it mean we're not good enough or we're not smart enough, or we're just not enough or not worthy of enough. When 99% of the time it has nothing to do with us. It's interesting too. You know, you mentioned you've been on the other side, you've been the interviewer. I interviewed a lot of people in banking, especially from MBA recruiting, right? Once I, when I was working Mm -hmm. at the bank and you know, there are only a certain number of spots. And I think back to even the, the candidates that the recruiting committee didn't offer spots to those people were amazingly intelligent, brilliant, successful that, that would have succeeded. It had nothing to do with them or their inherent worthiness. It might've just been one little thing we were looking for or some metric we needed to hit. 
And it is just so common for us to, to take it inward, take it to ourselves, which is the most painful way of thinking about it, that it's something wrong with us or deficient with us. And it doesn't serve us because then we just feel defeated and pull back and don't want to continue on in the process. And there's so many times when I interviewed candidates at Google and Salesforce and Facebook. So at the end of the interview process, you usually have three to five candidates that are vying for one particular role. And they're usually a couple that are like, okay, these are clearly not Facebook material or clearly not Google material, but the other two or three, they're all good. And then you're just like kind of ranking them which one do you want to go with? And sometimes there's only one, but sometimes we're like, okay, we're going to go with Amelia first. And if she says no, then we're going to go with Paul. You know, in hearing you talk, it made me think of another thing that I think as interviewees going through a process or trying to recruit into another industry that sometimes we fail to remember when we're making rejection totally about us is again, going back to when I think of recruiting in finance, when I was on the recruiting committee, oftentimes there are conversations happening where you're looking at an incredibly qualified candidate, say the number one pick of most people on the recruiting committee, but you're also, there's a strategy to it of like, this person probably has X number of offers or is going to get X number of offers elsewhere. And we want them to say yes. So maybe it's actually smarter for us as a company to go with our second pick or our third pick to guarantee the yes. You could be in a situation where you're getting no's, even if you're truly the quote unquote smartest, most qualified, whatever. So it, again, just never make it about you. Yeah. Companies look at yield. So if you're not demonstrating that you're going to take that off, like you, you need to pad the company's ego. You need to pad the interviewer's ego and make it seem whether you choose to or not, you want them to think that if you get this offer, from whatever company that you're going to take it. And whether you do or don't, Mm -hmm. you don't want them to eliminate you based on their thought that you may not take that offer. Right. Exactly. Exactly. The last part of your growth framework, the whole negotiation piece. So it's interesting, right? Because I hear uh, from a lot of my clients coming from finance and consulting who want to break into tech or even a a completely different industry that they've never worked in before. Mm -hmm. They have this thought, I have no transferable skills or I'm very inexperienced in tech in this new industry. And so oftentimes prior to our working through this, they'll inherently lowball themselves or lowball their own worth. Give us some tips or some tools, how you would help coach someone to rethink that about themselves. You know, they're coming from finance, they're coming from consulting. Sure. Maybe they don't have a tech company on their resume. How would you approach that with them? It's a great question. And when I start working with a client, one of my first questions, not not the first, but as part of my intake question I ask them is how much money are you seeking? And nine out of 10 people will respond with what they're making now. And I was like, no, that was not the question I asked you. What you're doing now is classic anchoring. You're telling me what you're making now. And you're saying, okay, because I'm making $180,000 now, my next job, I want to get 200,000. That has no relevancy whatsoever. So I usually call bullshit on that right away. I'd like, and I tell them like, have you heard about anchoring? Do you understand that? And most people have heard about it, but I'm like, what you're doing now is exactly anchoring. I also related a story to them when I went from American Express to Google. First off, I made some several mistakes during my interview process because I revealed what I was making to Google when I did not need to. 
um, I thought I needed to. Now it's actually illegal in a lot of uh, places. I think Google asked me. I could have deferred it, but now they're not even allowed to ask um, in a lot of a lot of situations. But by me telling that, I wound up cutting my knees out from under me. They offered me $62,000 more comp than I was making at American Express. And my response was, where do I sign? Because I was just so excited because I was anchoring. Like in my mind, I did the math, not right there, but like very like quickly thereafter, I did the math and realized it was $62,000 more. I was like, where do I sign? And again, because I was anchoring in hindsight from working on the inside at these companies, the first offer is never the final offer. And almost all of these situations you can negotiate, you may not be able to figure out what the maximum is you can get, but you can in almost every case get more. And instead of getting 62K more, I could have got 82K more, 102K more, something like that. Would that money have been more valuable in my pocket or Larry Page and Sergey Brin's pocket? And I don't think they would have uh, noticed another $20,000 in Alan's pocket. I think they're doing okay. <laughs> I, I think they are. <laughs> it's really interesting to hear you talk about anchoring because I see clients doing that exact same thing. They're anchoring to their salary in finance or consulting now. And then they're having this thought, well, I've never worked in tech before. So clearly I'm less qualified. And so they're lowballing themselves without even having done the research, talked to other people working in those industries, negotiating. It reminds me of what you're saying too, just with applying, right? There's no downside to negotiating for more. <laughs> no, if you do it in a respectful and a polite manner and you're not giving an ultimatum and you're not rude about it, they will rarely retract an offer. I actually help clients negotiate and they reach out to me and their fear is, oh, what if they retract the offer? I have never had that situation occur. There are some times when you want to, if you have your BATNA, your best alternative to a negotiated agreement, and like you understand some basic negotiation strategies, there are some times when it's okay if an offer gets retracted. But if you don't want that offer retracted, and you go in with a polite and respectful way, you are not going to get the offer retracted. Again, similar to applying, there's no downside in asking for more. And a lot of these companies expect it. I want to talk a little bit about your best clients and understand what's really going on first with just their mindset. So how they're thinking about the process of navigating the career search and landing a high paying job in tech. What are some common thoughts that you hear from them or even just overall perspective and mindset that you notice your clients that have really killed it and landed their dream jobs, high paying in big tech? How are they thinking about the whole process? I'm helping them to reframe the focus of that they can't put all their eggs in a single basket because of all the arbitrariness, because you can't control all the competition. So the people that do the best create, like clearly identify their goals. And after that, identify a list of target companies. And I generally advise people to create a list of 40 target companies. Sounds like a lot. It's really not that hard. Um, we have a list on my website that you can download. We have a hundred companies that we highly recommend that you can start with like Google and Amazon and Facebook and Microsoft and Salesforce and SAP. And th th there's hundreds of great companies out there. So people that are identifying their goals and then building relationships, because again, like people that just keep submitting resumes, 
it's really hard to get your resume viewed because especially these top tech companies, when I was opening roles at these companies, I would open up the role, the posting within a week, we would have a hundred applicants within two weeks, we would have several hundred to maybe thousands of applicants. And there is so much talent there that it's really hard for you to be, to stand out from the pack. So a way that you can stand out from the pack is through networking, through building relationships, through getting referrals, building authentic relationships, not, not in a usury way, not in a abusive way, but have informational interviews. You'll learn a lot about the company. You'll meet some really good people. That's how I got into Google. I got rejected five or six times from Google from submitting my resume. And then eventually a buddy of mine who happened to play softball with a buddy of his who happened to be a director at Google spoke to me. He liked my background. He suggested that I apply for a role. I looked at the role and I was like, holy shit, I can't do this. But like when he said, are you interested in the role? I was like, yeah, looks great. And he put my resume in and I really had no idea what the role was. Um, I was learning as I was interviewing and I did lots of research and I spoke to people along the way, but I did not eliminate myself from that. I tell people, don't eliminate yourself early. Get your application in there. Leave your options open if you are potentially open to relocation. Because some people are like, oh, I live in Atlanta. I don't want to move to the Bay Area. Then I will reframe it and say, okay, if Google's going to give you $200,000 more than what you're getting paid now, and they're going to relocate you to the Bay Area, would you consider that? They're like, yeah, for that. So it's like, okay, you're open to relocation. Do not take yourself out of the process. People that don't eliminate themselves, people that cast a wide net, people that build these relationships, people that apply, and people that prepare for the interview as well. So that when you do get those interviews, you bring your A game and you can't, even if you bring your A game, you may not get the role. But if you bring your A game, you'll be in those two to three people that they're debating to hire. And one of those stack ranks, you're going to be at the top. I love that you said too, when you bring up networking and just making connections, I notice a lot of clients <clears throat> and probably a lot of listeners, when we think of networking, it's almost like a cringe, yeah. <laughs> like a visceral cringe. And I just love how you, you know, it's like the simple reframe is you're just building connection, right? It, it doesn't have to be transactional. You can go into it. This is a conversation with another human. I'm interested in building a connection here, a long-term connection. You know, you never know where it's going to go or when that person's going to come back into your life and hook you up with someone at Google, right? So it's great to hear you say that too, that emphasis on, yes, networking is so important, but you can think about it as just making connections with humans. <laughs> yeah, th that's how we met. Yeah, like there, there's really very little downside in building those relationships. There's a, a lot of benefit of, just being helpful to other people. I want to stay in this, this space of your best clients too, because a lot of the work I do with clients and like listeners would be familiar with this is that our thoughts create our feelings and how you mm -hmm. feel throughout the process is so important to keep tabs on, right? I liken it to a dashboard of a car. If your check engine light goes off, you're going to stop and take pause and reevaluate what's going on for you. If you're feeling the emotion defeat or unmotivated or, you know, all these negative emotions throughout your career search process, time to pause and note that and take stock. So what are the emotions again, of your best clients that are navigating this transition into high paying jobs in tech? What would you say are the most common emotions? that they're experiencing? It's a good question. They separate the decision from their feeling. 
and they understand that it is not a reflection on themselves. I, I don't know if perseverance is an emotion, resilience. They have the ability to shake off defeat or also use it as a learning opportunity. The people that are most effective do not let the emotions take control of the situation and do not let those emotions lead to lack of action and understand yeah. that they need to continue to persevere. I know on the opposite side, the people that are not moving forward from an emotional perspective, they feel inept. They feel that they're not worthy. They're not good enough that they'll never achieve that. So it's like a hopelessness to a degree and that they'll just continue in their current situation. Frustration. People, yeah. Like it, it is a frustrating process. And I try to set expectations when I, besides asking people what sort of compensation they're seeking, I also ask them how long they anticipate this process to be. I give them some data and I try to recenter them. And some people say it's going to take too long, but usually it's like a three to six month window. And that's, I see 80% of my clients get a role within three to six months. The gold that I'm hearing in what you just said about emotionally is neutral. <laughs> the lack of negative emotion yeah. can actually be a really productive emotional state in which to go through this process. And if you're feeling things like overwhelmingly frustrated, overwhelmingly defeated, overwhelmingly insecure or demoralized, that's a good time to check in with yourself and ask yourself, how could I be going about this differently? Take pause, take stock, work with Alan, work with myself. That's an indicator going off on your emotional dashboard of, I might need to reevaluate how I'm approaching this and how I'm thinking about it. So I love it. Yeah. Neutral is a highly productive emotional state. I tell my clients that all the time, even in their current jobs, right? I'm like, if you're feeling neutral after working 80 plus hours on a project or a live deal, you're fucking killing it. Okay. So the last question I have for you is again, going back to this idea or this archetype of your best client, what are some easy, simple things that you notice they do as they're navigating breaking into big tech that really set them apart from other candidates? Taking action. And I think the, the negative emotions prevent sometimes people from taking action. But there are clear steps that are effective at getting jobs. So people that are identifying their target companies, people that are realistically assessing their strengths and playing to those strengths people that are building those relationships, building that network and being okay that if, hey, they have like five informational interviews that week and one of them was stellar and now they are going to recommend them for Spotify if there's an opportunity there at Spotify and just being happy about those small wins and shaking off the number of rejections. Uh, people that are applying, like it's, it's people that take the action and continue to take the action and also continue to learn. And something that I teach my clients, I work with my clients to do is I actually have them because you do not get feedback from these interviews. I look at where people are breaking down in terms of their success rates. And it's usually not at the interview stage, but for the interview stage, I encourage my clients to actually audio record their interview, not to tell the person who they're interviewing with that they're doing that and not to do it in any illegal way, but just to learn. And after that interview, listen to it, go for a walk and just listen to how you responded and say, okay, did I actually answer the question? 
did the interviewer seem engaged with my response? And how do I learn from that next time? Because it actually helps people to write more articulate and more relevant thank you notes, because they can hear that in that conversation that this hiring manager was really excited about my work with Hilton. I'll, I'll bring that up again in my thank you note, because I know that they were really excited about my work with Hilton. People that are open to feedback, people that are taking the action, people that persevere, like understand that the process sucks. Recruiting, looking for a job, most people don't enjoy that. So everyone listening in, number one thing Alan said, start taking action. Yes. (laughs) That simple. And that action could look like hiring a coach to help you navigate this process. If you're not doing anything, you will never change your circumstances. You will never get that job you want. You will never break free from the grind. I love that. And I just want to reiterate too that pure gold of taping yourself during an interview, guys, it's, it will be uncomfortable listening to that recording. (laughs) It's super uncomfortable, especially when we're naturally hard on ourselves. Right. But it's so golden what you're saying. And I would offer to with any sort of interaction, start with what worked well. So you can acknowledge and celebrate the positives. What didn't work? And then what would you do differently next time? Yeah. Doesn't have to be extensive. This has been so wonderful. And so I also want to say, I just have to note that you're currently recovering from COVID and yet you still made the time to be on this podcast and share your infinite wisdom with us. So thank you. And it's been such a joy to have you on. I'd love for you to share where people can get in touch with you if they're interested in working together or just if they're interested in getting more access to you and your content, what's the best way for people to get in touch And then also, is there anything in particular that you would like to let listeners in to promote or let them know that you have going on? Best way to find me is on my website. So it's kadimacareers.com, K-A-D-I-M-A, careers.com. And Kadima, the the derivation of that, it's a Hebrew word, means forward, and it's aligned with acceleration. So you can go to kadimacareers.com. Or I'm very active on LinkedIn. So you can find me at Alan Stein. You can look at me for Alan Stein Kadima, Alan Stein Google, Alan Stein Salesforce, Alan Stein Facebook. You'll, you'll find me there. We just came out with a new online course called the Job Acquisition Method. And what I've essentially done is broken down the growth framework into simple video-based modules with lots of documentation, lots of template at affordable price where people can learn these methods. Because I I do one-on-one coaching with people, but not everybody can afford that. So this online course basically allows people to do it at their own time, at their own pace, and get the same results as my clients do. And on average, my clients are getting about ninety-nine dollars to $105,000 more in incremental compensation after following the growth method. You can find all that at kadimacareers.com. And if anyone shoots me a note on LinkedIn, I am extremely responsive and happy to chat with folks. Okay. And I will link both your website as well as your LinkedIn profile in the show notes. So it'll be very easy for people to get in touch. Thank you so much, Alan. This was so much fun. Thank you to everyone tuning in and listening into this week's episode. And I cannot wait to catch you guys all next week. Thanks, Amelia. I appreciate it.